Off the ball. GAA. I feel like the negativity around football is a bit overblown at the moment, mm. to be honest with you. I think it's in a very conservative phase. Off the ball. Join in the obsession. Subscribe now at offtheball.com forward slash join. The Football Show on Off the Ball with William Hill. Who you got? 18 plus cgamblingcare.ie. This is News Talk. All right, you're welcome along. It is Thursday's football show. Nathan with you this evening. So there's a lot going on this weekend. We'll have Kathleen McNamee, as we just heard, out in Tala tomorrow night for the game between the Republic of Ireland and Hungary in the Nations League. Then a busy weekend in the Premier League. John will be here with the lads on Saturday afternoon, keeping up to date with all the live football. Arsenal, Wolves among the three o'clock kickoffs. You've Newcastle, Manchester United on Saturday night at St. James's Park. And then we have a live double header on Sunday. It's another packed Sunday in the Premier League. Five games. We will have Liverpool against Fulham from two o'clock on Sunday. Stephen Doyle and Brian Kerr at Anfield. And then at the Etihad, Manchester City against Tottenham. And Keith Tracy. Well, we've seen a lot of each other over the next few days because Keith Tracy's alongside me in the studio. How are you? I'm very well, Nathan. How are you? What was your favourite stadium to play in? Uh, I don't know. I, I really did. I liked Goodison. I liked Upton Park. You know, the ones that are old school and on top of you. I yeah. liked those type of grounds. But I, I love St. James's. I loved Old Trafford. But Old Trafford is probably a little bit little bit outdated these days but I, I really like playing there but St. James's was the one that was probably intimidating as you walk up the, up the tunnel up the steps and the, the stands just keep going and going and the the away fans are up in the up to the left right behind mm-hmm. the goal and you, you see them screaming but the, the noise doesn't hit you for a couple of seconds it's a it's a brilliant stadium yeah, yeah I, I've been to St. James's Park when Newcastle have been doing well and when Newcastle have been really struggling and the atmosphere can be a, a very different thing when you're playing against them and they're not going well is it still as intimidating or is it just in fact it's the size of because those stands are they must be the biggest stands in the Premier League in terms of the height of them it's just as you, as you say as you walk up those steps is it just the the sheer force of the noise of the crowd regardless of whether whether they're happy or whether they're sad no you can feel it you can, you can definitely feel whether it's a whether it's a happy a happy Geordie bunch or a, an unhappy bunch and I, I played against them when I was at Preston I, I've been there in the Premier League but I didn't play there in the Premier League and when I was there with Blackburn it, where, when you arrive where the players arrive with the bus it's like enclosed it's like mm. a tunnel type of thing and I've had them there where they've been rioting and all and you know they've been throwing stuff and it's been really really intimidating but I was there as the away team and they sort of let us go and you know the the Geordies were like the Blackburn players come out they let us go we got on the bus and we were okay but then the Newcastle players started coming out and we were sort of sitting back and watching going my god but yeah I think every time I've played Newcastle it's been referenced if you can turn the crowd against them or make mm. them quiet or get them a bit hostile it can be, you can sort of flip it on their head so even though you're the away team you can't use it against them at times You use the word intimidated would you actually go to different grounds where you would go into yourself a little bit where you'd be nervous walking out on the pitch uh, no never I, I would never be to the point that it would actually you know start to affect me playing okay. on the pitch but I think there is certain players that would would maybe shy away from the ball or not want to do it or be afraid but I, I would always be the opposite I would think that my manager would be looking out for things like that and if you start to shy away from wanting the ball I always thought that 
that's having a football personality if you want the ball in them situations that's when you can show you're a good player you can do it when the tide is good and everything's going alright anybody wants to get on the ball but when you're facing your own goal 30 yards in St James's Park and it's really really hostile that's when players with a bit of personality will come and, and, and get the ball and you were good at that I, I'd like to think I was I'd like to think I wouldn't lose the ball in unnecessary, unnecessary areas but again there's times you can show your talent and times you need to show that you're an intelligent footballer and if there's three people in my own 18 yard box trying to get the ball off me I'm not going to go and amazing dribble to show everybody how good I am I'm just going to punt to 70 yards and I'll, I'll show you how good I am later in the game when I get the, the opportunity You played an awful lot of your football in a similar part of the world then between yeah. Blackburn Burnley Preston um you know north of England probably has a, maybe an unwarranted reputation but a tough part of the world and like it, the football is so important to the people in those towns and the rivalry even between those three clubs would be would be huge what's that like as a a winger playing for those type of teams where the one thing they definitely want is blood and gut like they want you to yeah. be up for the fight they may not always appreciate the, the other talents that you bring or is that I'm being uh, generalising massively there towards the supporters of those clubs um, yeah probably generalising a little bit but I, I take what you're saying I think that you're possibly right but look at, at Blackburn I, I had a I had a tough time because people when I came through people were expecting Damien Duff to come through the door and obviously I was a young lad I I wasn't quite there I, I had the potential to be there but I just felt that you know by 16 I was earmarked as here comes Damien mm. Duff and you know I, I wasn't particularly given the time so I felt I had to really start pulling up trees to to get the 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 elation of the Blackburn fans so I went to went to Preston then Preston fans weren't quite sure about me because I played for Blackburn so I, I eventually got them on side and by the time I got them on side I was out the door to go to Burnley so now the, the Preston fans and the Blackburn fans hate me so everywhere I went I was just going around burning bridges and making people dislike me but it, you know I, I had a young daughter uh, at the time Ruby living in Bolton so I never wanted to stray too far away from the area and you know I, I, my, my very first interview when I left Blackburn to go to Preston we were doing one of these you know little interviews for uh, Preston TV you know the, the the local internet for the club and I, I basically said he said well, you know what why did you sign for Preston and my answer was because my daughter lives in the location and I didn't want to leave too far and they basically said well we need to we need to retake that one you can't you can't say that <laughs> but that, that that was the honest truth of it and I've always he, dreamed of uh, spending some time yeah, in Preston you had, well you had to Just sort of give well, it a bit of that spin um, Kevin Caban was there you know yeah. grew up the great legendary uh, left wingers for Irish you want to follow in his footsteps yeah, well, I could have given you that answer. I, I, well, yeah, see, I, I didn't have you at the time, Nathan. If I had you there, I, I'd, have, I'd have pulled out of you. But, yeah, no, the truth was, my daughter was there and I, I had, you know, there was a couple of clubs down in London, a couple of clubs up the north of England that, that fancied me, but I didn't want to stray too far. It is interesting that you're not allowed to say the quiet part out loud, mm-hmm. that actually lots of players reach stages in their career where the fame or the playing at the very highest level that they can is no longer the most important thing. It's actually what's best for them, what's best for their family. But you can't tell the supporters that. Yeah, nobody nobody wants to take that human side on board. And I, I, I thought that was hilarious when I said, you know, it's family reasons, that's why I've chosen Preston and they just weren't having it. You know, we can't put that out there. But yeah, look, there's a human being beside every uh, behind every footballer and they make human being decisions. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, I stayed around Lancashire and Yorkshire because, like I said, my daughter was in the area and I, I didn't want to go. And I remember Charlton, Charlton tried to get me on board and it was... Um, I can't think of the manager's name now, but he he was going to give me every Monday off to stay down, and I, I sort of got close to that. But 
I, I was never ever interested in going too far reminds me of a, a, a piece in that Robbie Williams documentary that's out at the moment and the day before he's playing at Slaying Castle which is the biggest gig of his career they ask him you, you must be you know, slain that's what it's all about and he's like well actually I've just been diagnosed with depression and I haven't been able to get out of bed for fear of actually playing this gig and this goes on like, yeah that's not really going to work could you actually just record it and say how much you're looking yeah. forward to the gig <laughs> he's like oh yeah I can't wait to entertain the Irish and that's the bit we saw that's the bit that we believed yep. it's crazy isn't it you just have to turn around when people want they don't uh, you know a lot of people that's uh, Sean Deutsch was I know I, I always go back to him but he's he's probably the only example of managers I had throughout my career who would actually scratch the surface with you and would actually think you know are you okay is everything alright right. with you because he I think he would realise that if you get the human being on side the footballer's going to thrive with him if, if you try and get the footballer on side the human being will bring him down eventually if he's not right so he, he was the one who actually said you know let, let's worry about you for a while Keith and he, he's the only manager in my whole career who, who actually tried to which is bizarre given the you know current circumstances yeah and I'm I'm very surprised to hear that he's the only one because like when we talk about your career we're not talking about the 70s mm. or the 80s and you know I remember talking to Brian McDermott on the show and you know Brian talking about his time at, at Arsenal and the lack of support that was there from and as he's going through his career and you know he did say like it's the late 70s early 80s it's mm. a different world but like we're talking 5, 10, 15 years ago that, mm. that, that most of the managers just had that you come in do your job perform for me on a Saturday and they don't really care what happens during the week yeah yeah. that was, uh, that was the, the attitude from a lot of managers and look I, I get both sides of the argument if you're a professional footballer playing in, in the Premier League or the Championship it's not the manager's job to be chasing you around the place and making sure you're okay and you know again I don't want this to come across as big headed but I feel like my talent masked an awful lot of the problems that I had because I would turn up on a Saturday and I would play okay I would drink Sunday, Monday you know play again on a Tuesday play okay and the manager would, would smell drink off me he would know I'd been out he would get you know reports from bouncers in, in, in Preston or Blackburn wherever I'd be but as long as I played well he didn't mm. really care and you know th- that's not good it's sort of putting a band-aid over, over the wound it's just patching you up for a while and eventually it came to get me but I get you know it would have been nice for these managers to take an interest in me and make sure I was doing you know living my life right off the pitch but you know where does their job end at the end of the day well they look at you as dispensable Mm. because you know if it gets too much they'll just let you go they won't pick you they'll sell you but also their problem is they're dispensable particularly Mm. in that level at the championship if they're not getting results they're gone you know, yeah. what's the average lifespan of a championship manager it is in and around five to six months so they're going well I don't need to think long term about his future I just need to somehow get him to turn up on a Tuesday and turn up on a Saturday and perform yeah yeah and look, like, I, I've had again like when I, when I was at uh, Burnley when me drinking uh, really started to get a hold of me you know Eddie Howe did he did he, he breathalyzed me for a while I failed the breathalyzer he tried to he tried to send me down to Tony Tony Adams Sporting Chance mm. down, down the south of England and you know you could say that he was trying to help me obviously he was trying to get me down there it was basically go down there and get yourself right son and, and that was it and you know it, he is trying to help me but I, I seen that as taking me out of the team and taking me away from what I wanted to do and that was play football when Sean Deutsch first came in the building he basically said look I don't care how many games you play for Burnley I don't care if you're a success I want to try and help you as a person and sort you out and it was just a totally different angle to try and take with me and if he was sitting here today he'd say you know we nearly got there we nearly turned the corner but I, I wasn't quite ready but we, we got quite close to it So your your sense and I, I stress is probably your sense of what Eddie Howe was trying to do yeah, was yeah. to get you better 
to get you back on the football pitch yeah. rather than just get you better. Yeah, it was. that's exactly what I took out of it. Go down there, get yourself better and get yourself on the pitch as mm. quickly as possible. Whereas Sean Dyche was sort of like, well, let's let's worry about you for a little bit. And there was no, you've two weeks to get yourself right. And even, even you know, Sean Dyche would say to me, when you're fit, you're in the team. And nearly every manager I've had over the career would say that when you're fit, you'll be in my team. But Sean Dyche would come running with me. He would come through Burnley City Centre. He would come into the indoor and do a couple of doggies with me. So whereas I was left to go and get myself fit, Sean Dyche would be there side by side with me. And you'd end up having these chats and just you know just talking to him about stuff that was in the back of my head that I was worried about stuff that was happening back home and all of a sudden I have a friend now as well that I'm bouncing stuff off and I, I don't feel like I'm being judged and he just became a little bit of everything for me a father figure a manager somebody to a role model all these type of things he became and yeah he was he was outstanding for me he probably put another 18 months on my career because right. when Eddie Howe was there before before Deutsch came in I, I was absolutely finished I was done it always sounds like whatever about putting 18 months on your career also gave you a whole lot of mm. other really important uh, things in your life that gave you the platform to survive after football then? Yeah, he, he just gave me, you know, human being skills and he, he made me look past the footballer because so much of my career was people telling me yes and people thinking, oh, well, Keith will pay off in the end. Keith will Keith will have this. Keith will go on to make this amount, this amount of appearances so we don't want to annoy Keith. Whereas Sean Dyche basically said, yeah, you're good at football, son, but don't, don't be taking liberties. You know, he, he sort of slapped me on the wrist and made me think, you need to be a better human being. You can't just rely on talent here and there. So, yeah, he made me think, you know, he, he spoke to me about women where I would come in and you know probably have a funny story from the night before about messing about with women he would look at me in the light and go son that's not big and it's not clever whereas other lads would be laughing and he just sort it made me look at being a man in a different light and you know mm. it's just basically a bit of a role model to look at and I, I needed that because the role models I had at 15, 16 when I first came in the door at Blackburn probably weren't the role models I should have had that's an incredible impact that mm. one man can have on on your life. When you've spoken to him over the last couple of years or when you've had the opportunity, and again, we're not talking about a period of time that's 20 years ago, like mm. all of this is in quite a recent past for you. Why do you think, did he take that interest in everybody? Like he couldn't have, he couldn't have devoted the amount of time he spent with you to, to every player and, and most of them maybe didn't need that amount of time. But why do you think he decided, actually, I'm going to give this guy a go. Um, I'm not too sure. I think that's a, qu- a question you'd have to ask for him, but I- I'm not too sure. He he's always said he had time for me, and I think we, we got on. I think outside football, we were quite similar. We Not quite similar. I was a little bit of a head case back in the day, but... I think he's seen he's seen something in me that you know this fella can be helped and he, he always want. I think a lot of managers come in the door and people you know the board and stuff would say stuff to them you know Keith's a bit this and we, we need to get Keith on side or Keith needs to lose weight and a lot of managers would see me as I'll get him on side whereas I, I never got that feel from Dice it was like he was trying to help me but he was trying to help me for me and it, it might be man management whatever you want to call it he was just he knew how to light a fire under me he knew how to get the best out of me but you know towards the end even when when my career was up we when my contract was up we had got promoted from the championship to the Premier League and I was basically told that I, I would get a new deal and when I went in he had said listen Keith the board aren't fully convinced if you come back on trial at the uh, to start the next season and you're in decent Nick we'll give you a new deal but to show you where I was at mentally I, I said no you're okay and I ended up signing for Barnsley so you know it's it just goes to show you where I was at mentally there mm. wasn't enough of a fire in me belly but again if he was here he would say that that we very very nearly got there you don't hear about that side of 
Dyche very much. Mm-hmm. Like he, I, I think people's impressions of him have probably changed over the last couple of years. But certainly when he came into the Premier League, the the voice was gone. There was yeah. a gruffness. There was a four four two, and it was the same eleven players in every single match. And they were spoilers, and they knew exactly what they were about. But actually, like the reason he survives at Burnley for so long, the reason you know he you feel he can do something at Everton, it, it's it's a lot deeper than a, a simple tactical outlook. You, you'd have to assume he's having like some sort of a connection with so many different types of players, and and still able to probably connect with with younger players. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the, f- the first thing he does is he, he, he gets everybody on side, but he doesn't do it the, the easy way. He doesn't come in and, you know, give lads what they want. He doesn't say, I'm going to give you all days off and it's going to be nice, you know, uh, five sides in training. It's the complete opposite. He comes in and lays down the law. He, he starts his first day at Everton, I believe, he did a bleep test, and that's pretty similar to what he did at, at Burnley. He came in, bleep test, you aren't fit enough. We need to be, you know, we need to go again, and you're thinking. Is there anything you can do in that bleep test that wouldn't end with him saying you're not fit enough? No, I, I think it's generally. But again, he does it. We we did that when he for, he came into Burnley in January. We done the bleep test. He made us get fitter. But then the, the start of the pre-season, then he came, we came in on a Friday and we did the bleep test. And he said, uh, if everybody gets over level twenty, I'll give you the weekend off, and he won't be back in until Monday. So it's just little things where you're like, oh, I don't want to do this. But then he, he dangles you a carrot and you start you start to do it. But he brought us to uh, he brought us down to Fort Island in in Cork for pre-season, and he, he done this thing. It was called the the manager's day. So. Uh, Mark Howard the, the sports scientist he would take all the training so we were there for 10 days Howdy would take 9 of the days it would be all uh, scientific related you weren't going to do this much because your output was this okay. but one of the days is the gaffer's day and he doesn't let you know you just wake up and this is it you're just going to get more there's no uh, there's no heart rate monitors there's none of that you're just going to run until the gaffer says you've done enough but we turned up uh, there's two rugby pitches out the back of Fort Island and we're on the rugby pitch and there's two JCB tyres on the at one end and one down the other end yeah. and he said right 10 lads down that end 10 lads down this end you have to pick the pick the, the tyre up start rolling it and the 10 that's there had to stop it so you're, like, you're getting tyre bones and knees and all getting shoved up get it going back the other way it was you just ran and ran and ran and then they, we were running for about 2 hours straight and he said I'll give you 40 seconds to run around the rugby pitch the, 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 the whole lot of the rugby pitch and if you all do it that's the end of it and we'll have a barbecue tonight but the goalkeepers and everything were involved in this so like some of the fitter lads are coming back and dragging the goalkeepers and six months into the season we're all absolutely knackered and he pulls this video out of us doing that last lap around the around the rugby pitch and you're thinking oh, I'm a bit, a bit stale not, not really feeling it today and he's like does anybody remember how bad you felt before that run and you all did it you aren't as bad as you think you are. You can go again, and you just like when you start to think, oh, maybe I am tired. Maybe maybe it is getting in on me. He just wipes it away, and he gives you a, a little thing of remember you 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 went through this already, and yeah. you think brilliant. It, 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 he just knows when you need it, when you don't need it. He's as man managers go, the best. And that's training ground. Then when the season would start in his role, so was it Mark Howard you mentioned was yeah, the Mark Howard, yeah. sports science side of it and you know it's Steve Stone with him was, was he there at Burnley? Not, not with me no he is, a, he is a, he was there with Burnley towards the end but he wasn't there with me it was um, Ian Wallen and there was a boy Tony something from Sunderland uh, he was Keane's number two at Sunderland but I can't quite Tony think Tony Sprague yeah 
No, a Ricky Sprager, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, it was Tony something. He was Ross. One of Ross Wallace's mates. He, he he was very friendly with Ross. But yeah, Wownie was there. Ian Wownie, brilliant left foot on him. I remember having a look at his his uh, highlights when he came in through the door. He was a fantastic footballer as well. Tony Lachlan. Lachlan, that's it. Yeah, Tony Lachlan. Uh, so would Daish, was Daisha on the training ground every day setting out the tactical plan and what you would want to do? Yeah, well, Mark Howard would take the, the first 15, 20 minutes of the session. It would be all, you know, going through ladders, plyometrics, getting your, just warming up, basically. And then Deutsch would come out, we would do boxes, and he he would get involved with the boxes. He would commentate. He would, like, he'd be little 5v2, keep the ball, and he would stand on the periphery commentating. And if somebody nutmegged somebody, he would ju- run off shouting, champagne! And it, it would just be just a little bit of banter. But then we would go into little little bits of shape play. And it, it wouldn't be so much tactical stuff. He would, he would stand back and we do 11 v 11 and the ball would move into certain areas and you say if the ball's there I need you to come across here and just it, it, it wouldn't be so much on, on the board it'd be on the pitch and there would be no grey areas about where you need to go but mostly based on fun just having fun there would always be a little bit of listen here's a tactical hit but basically it was about coming in walking hard leaving your egos at the front door and walking as hard as you can and the tactical hit side of it then because I think at that stage at Burnley there was that impression of it was fairly simple it was Mm -hmm. the same 11 it was that 4-4-2 and you know it would be Ashley Barnes and Chris Wood or whoever you know two big guys physical presence up front tactically was there more to it than than meets the eye? Oh yeah there was a lot more to it than meets the eye like when when I was playing what I say when I was playing I spent most of my time on the bench but I I did play a bit and the one the one move we always had and it seemed so simplistic Dean Marnie would get the ball into the middle of the pitch Ross Wallace would come off the right wing and if the right back if the left back comes with him we would play it in behind for Kieran Trippier if the right back doesn't come with him we'd just relay into Ross's feet and then Trips would make the third man run so either way it's getting to Trips but it's just how we're going to get it to Trips so there was all these little nuances we had Michael Coitley over on the left wing Stanislas or myself so there was little things little runs we knew how to make but basically we would go out thinking we're going to keep a clean sheet and Danny Ings uh, Vokesy Sam Vokes Charlie Austin somebody will hit the back of the net for us and we'll just keep a clean sheet but his, his one mantra was you know the maximum output is the minimum minimum effort from the way you have spoken about Ireland over the last couple of weeks I get the sense you liked mm. his style of football the you know quite direct at times and play to your strengths yeah well I, I think I think you know there's so much pressure going into games and the way Stephen Kenny puts pressure on, on the on the Irish lads is you know get the ball with the play through the towards do this do that when a team is low on confidence and it's difficult to do those types of things you simplify it just really really simplify and I knew you know whoever I was playing against I knew if, if I ran around and I got you know 11 and a half kilometres 12 kilometres on me on me GoPro then would be okay with me sometimes you can turn up in your talent you know might not quite might not quite be there you might miscontrol some things you might make some tactical errors but if you run around and try your best and that's all the manager's demanding of you it's fairly easy isn't it so all you have to do is go out and run around and try you know, and like every now and then your talent will come in you'll get somebody 1v1 you can show something but generally if you run around that will be accepted and try hard right uh, Danny Ings quality 
brilliant player yeah yeah Ingsy Ingsy was a brilliant player and again like there's so many uh, so many stories I could tell about Sean Dyche but the, uh, Ingsy obviously went to Liverpool after Burnley that's how that's how well he had done but he uh, halfway through the season him and Sam Vokes had, had struck up a brilliant partnership done really really well and he turned up with a, an Audi R8 about six months down the line and he, he drove it into Turf Moor one day and he, we didn't quite play well I think we drew and it, it didn't quite happen but Sean Dyche wasn't wasn't long and bringing up the Audi R8 and he, he never drove it in again and yeah it was good it was just little slaps on the wrist like that at, at times where you know I think we probably drew against the Yeovil or something and you're thinking you know he, he could probably let this go but he just slapped you on the wrist straight away but in, in a way that didn't make you go oh, he's an old dinosaur him. he doesn't know what he's talking right. about it was sort of a come on son you're very young now all that's ahead of you now and yeah I'm sure Ingsy will say it as well It was he probably needed that little slap he got 21 goals that season in the championship mm. Danny Ings then he got 11 in the Premier League which got him the move to Liverpool and then obviously he was incredibly unlucky yeah. with injury at Liverpool when he'd actually started the season quite well uh, if that injury from what you had seen on him because he's still just looking there he's still only 31 yeah. he's obviously still you know at West Ham and generally having to make do with a, a place off the bench at the moment uh, in terms of his talent as a, a poacher or striker what level was he at? You see, it's difficult when Ingsy because when Ingsy first came to came to Burnley, he was, he was at Bournemouth, and I think I think he had a, a very serious knee injury, like an ACL or something along those lines. And he, uh, when he first came to Burnley, he was injured, uh, and Twitter was just a thing, and he he was sort of viewed as Eddie Howe's boy because Eddie Eddie was at Bournemouth and had brought him with him. So people were a bit standoffish with Ingsy at first because, he, as I say, he was viewed as, as as Eddie's boy. But he he generally came around. People started to get to know him. People started to like him. He was he was very very funny he loved the the phone hacker you know the Terry Tibbs and all the stuff on E4 back in the day he used to do loads of impressions and his, his I remember reading his, his thing on Twitter was future England international I thought okay this boy has a bit of a <laughs> bit of a personality and yeah as soon as he got his he got his uh, got his chance you could tell he was absolutely quality but quickly then got another knee injury but came back from it so he, he's been dogged by injuries and I think he's had the play a little bit differently because he was quick he would run the challenge would get people in 1v1 situations and show how, how talented he was I think his game has been altered a little bit because of his injuries but yeah super super player and had he have not had those injuries I think Klopp even said he didn't really want him to leave at the time that's how well thought of he was at Liverpool having not played the amount of games that he probably should have he did get his caps three England caps got a there goal go. as well uh, Again, uh, one of the things I like having you we just go off on random tangents of uh, football from a decade ago. Uh, so Eddie Howe was at Bournemouth, then went to Burnley, but only he what lasted a year and went back to Bournemouth. Yes. Why? Why didn't he last? Uh, well, I could give you a million reasons. Basically, because we were we were trying to play an awful lot of football. I think if you look at what not Eddie, a bloody Stephen Kenny trying <laughs> to get the lads to do things. Yeah, well, look, you look at Vincent Company now, and people say to me, "Oh, you know what they did in the championship last year was brilliant. Uh, X amount of points, so many goals. Yep, yeah, totally different leagues." But when Eddie Howe came to Burnley, he was trying to play game, trying to play out from the back. We we had Lee Grant in goal. Lee Grant was a brilliant, brilliant goalkeeper, but he was an older goalkeeper and he started he would play out if he thought it was on to play out but if he didn't think it was on he would get rid of it Eddie Howe didn't really like that he was play at all costs and play 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 and you had some lads who thought I'll force the issue and you had other lads who think well I'm saving yards so I don't want to make the mistake here so and then the fans after 20 minutes if, if, if it's not really going well they're roaring at you get the ball forward 
we it just wasn't lining up well and I think his mother actually became unwell so he was he was quite happy to go back mm-hmm. to home to Bournemouth so yeah it, I, I think he lasted maybe a year maybe less than a year and, and then Sean Dyche came in but yeah, he was I think Eddie was probably 30, 35 when he got that job so very very young that uh, you know being so young and it seems to become more common like when a manager comes in he's only a couple of years older and he's probably younger than some of the players that are in the dressing mm-hmm. room yeah, well, Is it a strange he, dynamic. Very strange. He, uh, I remember, like, the, I, I used to hang around with a couple of the older heads, like Dean Marnie, Michael Duff. I, I would hang around with these lads, and you know, Eddie Howe would come in and he would say, "Come on, son, I need you to do this." And you could see, like, them looking out of the corner. I thinking, I'm eighteen months older than you, or whatever it would be, or eighteen months younger. And you know, th- these are small little things, but they just start to start to grate on people. And yeah, he he was. Totally, totally football mad, a hundred percent, and you know would very rarely socialise or, or ask about families. He was a hundred percent, and again, Eddie Howe was very, very young when he got the Burnley job. So I imagine it's it's chalk and cheese now that he's at Newcastle and had a couple of years behind him. What about the main man though, JT, the assistant <laughs> Jason Tindall? Oh God, was JT then the JT of now? Yeah, was he, was he getting much. in for the handshake before before Eddie Howe with the opposition manager? I, I, when that first happened I didn't see that but when, when I got told about it I went yeah that, that's JT I, I believed it straight away yeah if he was a bar of chocolate he'd eat himself <laughs> JT but he, he was a nice bloke a really really nice bloke but when I was there he would say stuff to me like oh, if I was the manager you'd be in my team I love you son I love you and then you know you, you find out that he's going in and he, he's on Eddie Howe's side the whole time so it just they, they were sort of like good cop bad cop but you know both ended up just being a little bit two-faced so I, I don't know I didn't have a great time under either of them but he, he, we used to always take the Mickey out JT because no matter what Eddie Howe would say at half time he'd be behind him just doing this little narrative with his hand going can we can we just and nobody ever knew what he meant that, can we just mm. and that's what he used to do all the time he used to think it was hilarious just a little change just just, just used to turn his hand can we just wouldn't say I wouldn't elaborate on it never elaborated he never, he never quite got the never, word for what he, he meant just, that could have that could have been the thing that unlocked the entire <laughs> anyhow spell if, if everyone figured out like is he we just pivot a bit more <laughs> midfield that that was the word he was missing we just needed a pivot a little there, bit yeah. of a pivot right uh, yeah so geez, he's like one of the most interesting figures in the Premier League right now isn't he JT, yes, Jesus. Um, do you think? Do you think the uh, you, you, like it's a decade ago and you didn't spend much time with him? Like, he gets hammered yeah. for, but Eddie Howe wouldn't let him away with it unless he was okay with him doing it. Like, no, again, is it that good cop bad cop? It's actually the perfect mix where Eddie Howe is is maybe not as comfortable front and centre of attention he's happy for Tyndall to be be that guy yeah well I, they do complement each other well because Eddie Howe was uh, he had he had quite a modest footballing career as a player and he, he was all you know he, he would go to bed at 8 o'clock get up start stretching do yoga go for a swim he was the ultimate professional couldn't understand why people would have a pizza or a kebab or have a have a drink uh, you know after they games. loved you I hate, hate me <laughs> couldn't couldn't absolutely couldn't stand me whatsoever but JT was a little bit different where he he understood there was a bit of a you know Jack the Lad and people right. and he would like a drink so they were there was a bit of a balance where you know Eddie would just think uh, what what is he thinking this lad right. and JT would sort of bring him back down to ah look everybody drinks or you know every every young lad will do this I do that so there, there was a, a happy medium between them but yeah they were opposite ends of the scales and yeah probably like the odd bunch you wouldn't put them together but when you're in a room with them given their two personalities you wouldn't think they would work but yeah they're not bad together all right uh, we need to take a quick break we've 
gone here, there and everywhere and eventually got to Jason Tindall shaking hands. Uh, <laughs> it always comes back to that eventually. Uh, we do want to talk about some of the week's football as well. Keith Tracy is in studio with us. Uh, take a quick break on the football show. Football on off the ball with William Hill. Who you got? 18 plus cgamblingcare.ie. This is News Talk. You're welcome back. Football show Keith Tracy is in studio. One of these nights we will get to uh, Keith Tracy, the Republic of Ireland years. Why not? Yeah, but it, well, might, it might be a full episode. Is it years or year? Was it? Was it? I'm not even sure how I think it, it might have stretched past 12 months. You, yeah, were, you were around for more than 12 months. Whether your caps went more yeah. than 12 months, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, that's but true. you hung around. Oh, yeah, like a bad smell. I hung around for a while, yeah. <laughs> uh, so we're going to be on commentary at the weekend on Manchester City against Tottenham. Um, City come back again in the Champions League during the week. Five wins from five. All the drama, though, was around United last night. And watching the game when they went 2-0 up well everything I've seen from United this season in the Champions League suggests that they're going to let them back into it but also we were on commentary at the weekend and against Everton and like they actually saw that game out in the second half quite well but the complete and utter chaos of United at the moment and if teams run at them and the uncertainty amongst the goalkeeper and the defence I'm almost lost for words as to what I saw last night at times from United particularly in that second half how do you sum up what you saw? Um, I, I think I think they started the game really well. Um, they're two 0 up inside the first twenty minutes. These all this you know, welcome to hell. You can imagine what the atmosphere was like, and it was everything we thought it was going to be. But I thought you know you stood up to it really, really well. Uh, the Garnacho's goal is a, is a brilliant, brilliant finish. The the little layoff from Bruno Fernandez to Nutmeg Bowie, the the mm. right back, is a, it's a lovely little bit of skill, beautiful finish, and then Fernandez the second goal. It's a beautiful beautiful hit the way he gets it to come up and down and dip like that gets movement on it it's brilliant but you know Onana you know people have said to me he's, he, oh, he's brilliant he can play out from the back he has to be able to save a shot every now and then and that uh, the ZH the force one is a disgrace you know I've had balls passed to me harder than that and you just control that That the fact that that's ended up central just rolling into the back of the net you know when ZH hits that he's not expecting that to end up in the back of the net mm. because it's such a pure, a, a poor free kick and I know there's bodies in the way but Onana takes that step behind the wall thinking it's going to come up and over if a player's going to do that to you sometimes you hold your hands and go that's brilliant skill but you have to make sure you don't get beat on your side the second one the second ZH free kick I've, I've a little bit of sympathy with him because I think Martial ducks out of the way just at the last second and makes it really difficult and I was always taught that if you're defending a set piece and you can deal with it personally Go and deal with it. Don't expect somebody you to do it. You didn't think that Martial is facing his own goal. He's going at pace that he's concerned about just knocking it in as an OG, and that's why he ducks. Yeah, possibly, but you know it, the fact that he, he looks like he's there, and then all of a sudden he goes, "No, I don't fancy." Onan is probably thinking, "Well, he's dealing with it," and then he his reaction time is cut to you know half a second or whatever. So I do think Onan should do better. Martial should do better. Should they be a little bit higher? Should they be lower from from the set piece? I'm not too sure, but when you know you're a two up, you don't back them, do you? Like we, I I didn't think that that's the game sewn up. I mm. thought Galatasaray will still have a chance in this. I, I thought the second one was worse than the first one from Onana's point of view and look, not a goalkeeping expert and you're right it's a very basic error it feels for the first one where he takes that step the second one even with the Martial influence it's more the reaction when he gets down where he just closes his fist and almost tries to let it bounce off his hand to go clear rather than yeah. being in any ways commanding and knowing what he wants to do with it and 
again you're looking at Manchester United and well they need they need a keeper yeah I know. they just replaced the guy they needed to get rid of for three years with somebody they thought would transform not just the goalkeeping position but the entire way they play have you seen any sign of a change in how they try and do things from the back because Onana's in goal rather than De Gea's in goal no, not really. I mean, a lot of what I see with Onan is he'll just he'll he will sit on the ball. He will keep it and keep it and keep it. And even against Everton on Sunday, you know, Calvert Lewin was very standoffish in the press. But then he'd sort of half-hearted come. But Onan would hold on to him, mm. hold on to him, drag him in, and then he would pass. And you're thinking, what's the point? Like you're killing the game here. So what's what's meant to happen in that scenario where the ball goes back to Onana, but actually the opposition don't press? So he's as you say, and this has happened since the first minute of the first day of the season because I remember commentating on their on their opener and the ball went back to him and you sort of wondered what he was going to do and he, again he just stood there almost statuesque for 5-10 seconds and waited for the press to come which never came so what would you expect a keeper to do in that scenario then or is it on the keeper or is it on his teammates well, he needs to make up his mind an awful lot earlier because standing on standing just with the ball there, doing nothing, being static and thinking, you know, well, I'll wait till the picks are changed. Go and lend it to Harry Maguire, get it straight back, you know, bounce it one or two, move it around, play it out to your left back, do what you like, try and fling one over the top. But standing there for 10, 15 seconds, just with your foot on the ball, thinking, well, something will change in a minute or something will happen. I mean, you see Ederson, you see Allison doing that, but they're doing that with as soon as they start to creep up that pitch, I'm flinging this over the top of them. And, mm. Onana doesn't seem to have that it's like he, it's almost like now he's trying to prove how good of a footballer he is like I'm going to play that way the needle pass I'm going to flick one around the corner it's like just do the basic job get the ball give it to people and start putting the building blocks in place because at the minute you know he needs to keep the ball out of there he's not doing that and his football is not getting to the point where you think oh but he's a brilliant footballer he's, he looks okay as a footballer but in, in terms of shot stopping I think every United fan would be thinking they'd have to have it to get back at the weekend for Manchester United at Newcastle, would you have Garnacho or Rashford on the left hand side? Oh, Garnacho has to be Garnacho. I think with the with the goal he scored against Everton. And look, I, you know, it, I, I wouldn't. It's it's a world world class strike. I don't think we we will see that again from him. But the fact that he has that in the locker, he's a, he's a game winner. He's somebody that can that can do things like that. I think you put him out there and you send a little bit of a message to Rashford that you haven't been good enough and you need to you need to contribute an awful lot more. And again. I won't even touch on how poor he is, how poor he has been going forward. I don't think he's working anywhere near hard enough. And this is what I, I go back to you about Sean Dyche and a simple message. Go out there, run around, try hard, give me 12 kilometres. And your talent at some point will shine through mm. because you're a professional footballer with loads of talent. But what we need, or what United fans I think will want is Marcus Ratford with a walk rate when you don't have the ball. But it's also at that Champions League level, like that's also not enough. Whereas mm. when you look at Bruno Fernandes last night who did a lot of that actually and <laughs> to his detriment because he was the one that gave away the free kicks Yeah, because he's trying to get back he's actually trying to do the right thing and something he's been criticised of actually you know throwing the arms up in the air you know he was back there fighting on the edge of his own area but why is he the one that's back there when Amrabat and McTominay are starting and that that surely comes back on the manager and on is that Amrabat and McTominay not working hard enough or is that on the manager and the way he set them up I'd imagine it's on how the manager has set them up because if you're Amrabat and you're Scott McTominay, your plan is to two hold the midfield fair. So your job is to stop service into the into the into the uh, Mario Icardi. How Bruno Fernandez is running back and gives away that foul and Amrabat and McTominay is nowhere to be seen is beyond me because you're playing away from home. 
you need to have a structure on your team and it's great saying we have this rotation we have that rotation there has to be a structure on the team and if I'm Amrabat or I'm McTominay and Bruno Fernandes is, or if I'm Bruno Fernandes and Amrabat is running past me I'm thinking what are you doing get back there you're the defensive midfielder but it, it just doesn't seem like it's all a bit nice if you think you can score don't be afraid to release yourself there has to be a little bit of what if nobody in, in the Premier League or in modern day Premier League seems to have that, that thing in their head of what if this breaks down what if this doesn't go to where we want it to go like, uh, Gary Neville calls it smelling danger I don't think enough of the United players smell danger now I don't know whether that's Ten Hag saying go 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 don't don't worry about what might happen just go and if that's how he wants to do it that's how he wants to do it but I think you, ha- you can't put all your eggs in the basket you have to have somebody just hanging around thinking well if this breaks down we have a little bit of cover there because Amrabat and McTominay were both up the pitch and Fernandez is running back there is it feels a, a mix of styles at Manchester United even going back to the goalkeeper and you do have to question Ten Hag and his relationship with players and how many of them he has fallen out with when like the the signing of Rafa Varane and okay Lissandro Martinez has been injured but all of that at the time felt like it would link in with Onana so they'd be able to press high the way a lot of the leading teams do because Onana would be able to play that sweeper-keeper role. Whereas now they're playing with Harry Maguire, so they've got a sweeper-keeper, but he can't come out because the defence <laughs> sits back so much. And he's probably built a midfield as well that's expecting to play with a defence that is up on the halfway line the whole time, but they're actually 20, 30 yards further back. And it is getting them results in the Premier League. Like, they're the form team in the Premier League. They've won five of their last six games. They're six points off uh, the league leaders, albeit without having necessarily beaten any of the top the top team so far and you know they go to Newcastle on Saturday night they've Liverpool around the corner uh, as well do you feel that there's a plan there for Ten Hag at the moment as to what they want to do because I, I heard them talking about this in breakfast this morning it does feel like there's no tactical style to Manchester United at the moment yeah, it, it doesn't seem like they have a, an identity and I, I hate using that word because it seems like it's the buzzword at the minute but when you turn up and you watch Manchester United you, know, you don't really know what style of football they're going to try and play. Are they going to be a mid to low block? Are they going to be a counter-attacking team? Are they going to try and squeeze people with the possession and turn the screw? You're just not sure what they're going to do and it's almost like, well, it depends what the opposition do and we'll see what we can do after that. It's not we will counteract that. It's just, well, whatever happens after that happens that and there's a bit of talent out there so we We'll, we'll we'll hope that they can figure it out out there. I'm not too sure. You know, Ten Hag has made an awful lot of bad decisions, and before we even go go into whatever he is, whatever his, his tactics might be. Harry Maguire was was able allowed to go out the building but he was hanging off on an £8 million payoff so he didn't go to West Ham Scott McTominay was told he can leave the building he's one of the better players Varane was brought in he's not playing he's on the bench last night uh, Sancho I know he's in the reserves but you know he will have relationships with the first team players and it just seems to me that there's one, two, three, four, five now that are just starting to think I'm not sure about this manager and the way Rashford has been playing I would imagine that he doesn't seem too happy and look this is all you know speculation on my part and from the outside looking in but it doesn't look like a happy dressing room it doesn't look like people are running through brick walls and it doesn't look like they're a motivated bunch and I think he's made an awful lot of you know Harry Maguire's playing at the minute Scott McTominay's playing at the minute but they were basically told they were surplus to requirements and players mm. don't just forget that and uh, you know they're playing now but it's because the manager needs them not because the manager wants so them you, you don't think there's a, a confidence almost that comes into Maguire and McTominay if we prove them wrong you no. think there's always a bit of them that's you never fancied me 
yeah, I think that's exactly what I'd be in the head. He doesn't fancy me, and uh, I would think that if you know if Casemiro was was coming was back and he was playing well and Amrabat was playing well, I don't think you'd see Scott McTominay. It's the fact that he's been playing so well for Scotland. He's got himself into the United team, and it's it's just the fact that he's needed. He, he's needed. He's not wanted. If he was wanted, he wouldn't have been you know flirting with going out of the building. Neither would Harry Maguire, and they're relying so heavily on these lads that were told you know you're not good enough for Manchester United. Yeah they are now and they're needed now so players don't forget that although players are, are you know quite simple human beings they don't forget things like that well they'll be walking up the steps at St James's Park on Saturday night and the atmosphere will be pretty raucous you would expect for Newcastle against Manchester United at Newcastle struggling with the load of Champions League Premier League Champions League Premier League they have an awful lot of injuries at the moment they were obviously very unlucky against Paris Saint-Germain on Tuesday night but again they go through that game they don't make any substitutions at all during the match it's the same starting 11 don't know if they'll have too many players back for this weekend either Um, how do they manage this do you just have to trust that a game like that Saturday night 8 o'clock the players are up for it or do you have to take a risk with some of the younger guys and, and go full of energy I think Eddie Howe will, will go with I think he'll go with as strong as he can he'll go with a little bit of energy but I think I think these are the games that Newcastle will get themselves up for I, I know they're they're moving into that 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 quadrant of an elite club they're not mm. quite there yet. I know they're in the Champions League I know they're doing well I know they're top, doing at the top of the Premier League doing really really well but they haven't quite moved into that elite phase for me so they need to need to beat Manchester United they need to beat the, the big big boys and yeah like they, they have a whole host of injuries and the, the one thing for me when uh, when Kieran Trippier went over and started having a pop off the fans when they I think they drew up Bournemouth was it and you're just thinking like Trips is not somebody to get wound up and the Newcastle fans just need to keep a little bit of perspective on team because they have shot to up the top of the Premier mm. League they've players in the building that would would not have been in the building they've they've world class talents it's all on the up at Newcastle in a minute there's going to be a little blip here and there they will come off it because it's the first time they're playing Champions League football in 20 years and how close are we to having you know a famous night in Paris and they should have it that was never a penalty the Livermento penalty is it's an absolute disgrace you know isn't that I, I've, I've heard that that is a rule I, I have to say I'm not 100% sure on no, this no so it's a, a recommendation um, that UEFA haven't imposed so the Premier League initially didn't but then change it so now any deflection onto the arm is not going to be a penalty if it deflects yeah. onto the arm whereas the the um, whereas UEFA basically are ignoring that now I say that last night there were two situations where more or less the exact same thing mm. happened and uh, no decision was given we saw it um, in the Bayern Munich game um, right at the end against Copenhagen there was a very similar situation and the referee decided not to give the penalty and the VAR was stood down from that Newcastle game so it's just it's just a mess mm. uh, one other thing on Newcastle um, Alexander Isaac as when you're talking about Elise so he is had an injury plague season again, but he's seven Premier League goals in nine Premier League appearances. He's only played a full 90 minutes in one of those nine games. Uh, 24 years of age, sort of been in and out with Callum Wilson, but Wilson is injured. Is he is he somebody who could be one of the best strikers in the Premier League over the next couple of years? Yeah, from what I've seen, he definitely has a bit. He needs to stay injury uh, injury free, as you say. He needs to. He is the first choice when he's fit at Newcastle, but he needs to go. You know, Wilson is popping in and giving him a bit of a hand, but he needs to take that mantle and just think right for the next 
30, 35, 38 games, I'm going to be the one who's going to get you 20 goals. When he plays for Sweden, he's, he impresses me. He looks really, really good. At Newcastle, he's getting better all the time, but just as you think, right, he's getting somewhere now, he gets a little injury, a little niggle, and then he comes out again. But yeah, he, he's one who... You know, I think he was sixty million when he came in the door, and I don't think that's a I don't think that's a big price tag for him at all. I think his potential is very, very high, and you know, going on to be one of the best, yeah, possibly I could see it. But there's a lot of there's a lot from here to there. You know, there's a lot of improvement to do. He needs to improve on his finishing. He, he can miss the odd the odd uh, howler every now and then, but a lot of pace, very intelligent, decent in the air for his size as well. So, yeah, I like him. But is he going to nail you twenty goals a season? We'll see. Mm. One last one. Cuevin Kelleher might get a run over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, he, he should do. Uh, I wasn't sure when Alisson went down holding his hamstring. I thought maybe he was just trying to kill the game against Manchester City. As it is, it's it's transpired. It is a, a proper hamstring injury. So it looks like Cuevin's going to get a bit of game time. Yeah, like, you know, it, it's quite depressing because, you know, I'd love to sit here and say, oh, if he plays well, he'll keep it. He might stay in there. But, you know, I think we could all assume that when Alisson's feet he's going to come back in yeah. no matter what Cuevin does that's a so, strange mindset for a player it? that actually I could go out and be man of the match in the next four games but if if Alisson's back for the game against Manchester United I'm back on the bench and mm. I'm there for the next six months again uh, yeah well I think Klopp has to spin the narrative that, that listen if you keep a couple of clean sheets you have every chance but I think you know realistically but even Cuevin has to lie to himself You know, at, at times yeah. you have to do that as a player and try and motivate yourself keep a couple of clean sheets I might stay in but who knows you know you just have to keep in there and these are these are why he's sticking around in Liverpool there will be little pockets of playing time for him so he just needs to maximise that and he needs to be Alisson Mark too mm. I know often you would say to players be your, go out and be yourself but the way Liverpool play and Alisson is so important to that like, does he need to go, he needs to go out there and do as close as possible to everything Alisson does with the ball at his feet yeah well look he, he can only be himself and I think that Cuevin's a decent footballer I've seen him play for Ireland you know he can't fling the ball out to left back and right back for me I would just keep it really really simple don't make any mistakes keep the ball from going in the back of the net and anything after that is a bonus but just keep a clean sheet be be a good goalkeeper what you are supposed to be and I'm sure you know Klopp already knows he calls him the best the best number two on the land so Klopp knows how good he is I don't think he's had to prove so just go out there and try and keep a clean sheet Alright Keith Tracy we'll see you for Manchester City Tottenham on Sunday Sunday Talk to yeah. Football on Off The Ball With William Hill Who you got? 18 plus See gamblingcare.ie This is News Talk